Welcome to another episode of Peers Over Beers, your favorite digital and social evangelist podcast with your industry veteran hosts, Chris Tetzel. This podcast starts now. All right. Welcome to another Peers Over Beers. I'm Chris Detzel and I'm Nicole Saunders. Nicole, how are you? I'm doing all right. I, I just got back from a business trip, so I'm a little travel weary, but it was a good trip. Lots of connecting. So that's great. Connecting is always good and something that we that we do pretty well, in my opinion. And I heard I that <laughs> you just told me that you waved at me in the DFW airport. So I did. I, I said hello, but uh, it's kind of a joke. But, uh, <laughs> you know, Nicole, we have a special guest and someone I'm super excited about um, today. And his name is Jono Bacon. Jono, how are you? Pretty good. Thank you. It's great to be here. Well, it's great to have you. We're certainly excited. And uh, if yeah. people don't know who you are, you've been doing community things, consulting, and you've built communities and you've worked for community companies, but you've also authored like five books around, I think, all things community. And one of them is you've had, from my understanding, two best-selling books or really um, that have won some awards, People Powered and uh, The Art of Community. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. Nailed it. <laughs> I, I'm pretty oh. sure I have them both on, on my bookshelf right here with my community book collection. So this is it's oh, thrilling to you. have you. <laughs> thank yeah, you. We're, we're excited. I'm having my coffee and Jono, it's early for you. And Nicole, I think it's the same time for you. So we're all having our coffee. I don't see coffee on yep. Jono's. Thing, I've already, I've already no slammed it down like half an hour ago. He's like past it went that. In. <laughs> yeah, I, do, I didn't even taste it. It went in so quickly. <laughs> <laughs> That's generally how that works. And then I'm just like, oh, okay, let's go. Um, right. Well, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, Jono, before I go into the topic today sure. and, and we start asking you a bunch of questions around it. How about that? Yeah. So Yeah. So I, 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 it's great to be here. I'm just super passionate about communities like, like we all are. Um, I started out down this pathway when I was um, 18. Um, and my brother introduced me to Linux, which was an operating system that was just kind of mm -hmm. starting to form. Nobody really heard of it. Um, and I got in, like, I discovered this open source community. Um, and I was just captivated by the idea of people all over the world building software together uh, on the internet. Because back then, when I was growing up in England, the internet was not really, it was like in America, it was you had like free local calls so you could get on the internet quickly and easily in england you had to pay to get on the internet so it was like a luxury for a lot for a lot of us um and i had no idea that people did this people got together and they collaborated and they built things together and it just literally was like a light bulb that went off and i just wanted to learn everything about it um and then i um i went on and uh led community at canonical where we built the ubuntu community uh which was about 60 million users we had about three hundred thousand active contributors who would be you know, writing software, providing support. We had hundreds of local user groups. And then I went to XPRIZE, which has these huge incentive competitions. The first XPRIZE I worked on was called the Global Learning XPRIZE, which was a $15 million competition. It was primarily funded by Elon Musk back then. Um, oh, wow. Uh, yeah, and it I didn't know he was around back then. That's great. Oh, yeah. Yeah. In fact, my first week at XPRIZE was was coordinating for him to do a like writing a script for him to do oh, like our kickoff video um, wow. um uh, and then he ended up pulling out because he was just starting to get famous um and he was like <laughs> i can't take any more like any press like he was kind of getting a little weird kind of the opposite <laughs> of how he is right now where he just like thrives on controversy like he didn't want uh -huh. any of it back then 
Uh, and that was a, a prize that like challenged teams to build an Android app that teaches kids how to read within 18 months without a teacher. Uh, and then I went to GitHub. And I, when I was at GitHub, I realized like, I don't want to work for a big company. GitHub was about mm. six, 700 people. Yeah. Uh, and I'd been consulting since 2008 when I put the Art of Community out. So I went full time consulting um, in like 2015, I think it was. Um, and then I was literally doing that pretty much until the beginning of this year when I basically fired all my clients apart from one of them. And I launched something called the Community Leadership Core, which is an accelerator that that, that uh, companies who have invested in building a community can join and will just help you to like regularly deliver uh, quarterly community engagement and growth. It's it's training, coaching. It's a big amalgamation of things. So, Oh, I, I didn't know that. Like, I, I, I thought you were still consulting. So that's, uh, yeah, that's really a, cool. It's been a journey. <laughs> Sounds like it. Well, it sounds like you've got like seen a lot though. You've had a lot of great, really different experiences. You probably have a pretty broad perspective on the community industry. You've seen what works across different fields and different kinds of things like that. Yeah, I feel very fortunate. I mean, um, I've had an opportunity to work with a lot of different companies and I've learned a lot. And what's interesting is there's been like multiple career moments where I've realized how wrong I was. Like, for example, when mm -hmm. I left Canonical in 2000. And 14, I think it was. Um, uh, so, yeah, I've been consulting less than eight years. Uh, um, I thought I'd figured out how to build build online communities because, like, building Ubuntu was 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 one heck of an experience. Uh, and I put the art of community out and my ego kind of took over and said, ah, oh, you figured this stuff out. And when I think about what I've learned since then, mm. I had no idea what I was doing. Uh, like I didn't even scratch the surface. <laughs> <laughs> so... There's always it's amazing what there. hindsight will show you, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. And I think that, you know, in my experience, just going from, you know, three or so different companies and building online communities, I've learned so much from each uh, company, but also each um, uh, community, right? And, you know, I look back yeah. when I first did it, I was like, oh, my God, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And even, even at the second time I did it, I was like, well, you know, I did pretty good, but wow, you know, I still had a lot to learn from, you know, kind mm. of business outcomes and, you know, pushing data directly into, or not data, but, you know, just how do I kind of look at different areas of the business and how does it affect that and how do I prove some of that out? But um, a couple of things that we wanted to talk to you about today, though, is um, something yeah. I'm very excited about is kind of the trends. So something that we've heard about, and we don't have to focus solely on this, but is AI, ML, and how that's changing um, the world, really. And, mm. you know, I can kind of see it, you know, community probably changing in in a lot of different ways. And, and I'll give you this little little tidbit that I was at Forster Research last, um, last week, week before, I don't remember. And the CEO, George Colony, said, said this. So, and it's interesting because back, so to go back, I used to work at Forrester Research, and uh, I always had respect to, for George Colony, especially because he I felt like he could almost predict the future. It was weird. As he saw it coming, then he can kind of then predict it out. So, for example, on um, like iPhones and, and things like that, when it first came out, they just started coming out with apps, right? And then mm -hmm. uh, you're like, okay, what is these app things? Really didn't know. But what he said was, you know, businesses and phones and uh, iPads, computer laptops, the, the ecosystem is changing. You're going to have this app ecosystem to where everybody uses apps and people will be building these apps to really drive, you know, the business forward. 
So he said all these things, you know, and I was like, oh, wow, you know, that's pretty cool. And and I, I didn't really think about it until like five years later and everything was using apps and there's mm. a whole ecosystem around apps. And I was like, he was right. It's crazy. So uh, last week he said something like this. Um, he said, the internet today, as we know it, is going to change in a big way. So for example, he gave a banking, he goes, uh, Today, you know, you go on to Google and you search and it's kind of messy. You can't find any, you know, you can find things, but it's very difficult to find exactly what you're looking for. But he goes, the way that websites are, it changes the way everything is. And so he gave an example of a banking and it was very simple. And he goes, so you go to a bank and now, you know, the way I see it in the future is you, you, you it's like a chat bot kind of thing. You, you ask for your account information. How much money do I have in my account? You have $100. And what has been the last activity in the last month? It's been this, 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 and this. And it starts giving you that information. So when you do searches, it starts being it starts being more uh, specific to your needs. And so as I kind of think about community and how that mm -hmm. changes, just wanted to, look, it was just a fun little thing. And I thought, okay, to some degree, he's probably right, you know, and probably not completely. Just wanted to get your thoughts and and you know what are you seeing? What do you kind of believe yeah. is going to happen? I think we're at the beginning of a really monumental shift, um, and I think it can be broken into a, a few different pieces. AI is 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 fascinating to me because you know over the years we've seen a whole bunch of technological trends, right? I mean, there's yeah. AI now, but we had you know blockchain, crypto. Um, there's, there's been cloud, mobile devices, uh, all kinds of different pieces. And at the beginning of every technological shift, there's a hype cycle kicks off. And mm -hmm. being British, we tend to be a cynical people, yeah. um, especially being a British person living in the Bay Area in California. Like I'm surrounded by, yeah. you know, chirpy Californians with very, very white teeth um, who get excited about <laughs> Frickin' everything. Like the word awesome is just overused where I live. So, you know, these conversations will kick about off kick off about these technological trends. And um it was for me, it felt relatively straightforward to see through the hype cycle where it was kind of gonna get to. Like the classic example is Web3. Like everybody yeah. was banging on and on about Web3. And mm -hmm. it was evident that this was not gonna have a tremendous shift, especially NFTs, which is stupid in concept. Completely beyond agree. Yeah, beyond like uh, like fundamental infrastructure changes like blockchain, right? Which was which was always going to be very successful. Like Walmart using it to track like you know meat shipments and stuff like that were, were, were evident how it would be used. What I find fascinating about AI is I don't know where the hype cycle starts and ends mm -hmm. because it is so monumental in what it can do. I remember actually the first time I used ChatGPT, uh, my wife and I were. Um, going out to dinner at a swanky restaurant called Single Thread uh, in Healdsburg. And we're all excited. Fancy about dinner it. date, first place, like best place for AI. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, sure we, were, we, we were out. Part of the reason why I remember this is we were out with like two couples who'd flown out from New York to go to this restaurant, like because we're all into food and we're all talking about AI. And uh, I think I was the last one to the game to try it out. And they were like, oh, man, you should check it out. It's crazy. You're British. Right. And, uh, and, and and it was the first time where I was genuinely a little bit scared about technology, just how hmm. good it was. Um, so I think the, the shift with AI is going to come in a, in a few different forms. One is, um, is going to be um, 
using it to um to to help human beings to create outcomes whether it's going to be creating content whether it's going to be actually using it to generate strategic direction and guidance like one of the things that's fascinating about chat gpt is you can tell it you know you are a business advisor you are a therapist yeah. respond in that in that role and it's actually not bad in how it does it and it's only going to get better but i think where it's also going to be particularly helpful is going to be uh identifying trends and patterns in huge data sets yeah. like you can do it today like you can upload a csv file with a mound of slack data and it will tell you what the trends were in that data uh, it's going to put tools like common room and orbit and crowd.dev and, uh, and like that in a, in a tricky spot because that's a big chunk of the value proposition there and ai is going to have to kind of fuel that so i think it's going to mm -hmm. be a great helper you know the, the, i think right now some people are misusing it and they're using it to generate content and the, a lot of the content that generates is kind of garbage unless yeah. you feed it the right kind of material that's to right. me ai is one piece what's really interesting is the large language models it's like how do you take how do you build your second brain that to me is where I think it's going to get especially interesting. Um, and it's going to be, uh, it's look, it's going to put a lot of people out of work as well. Um, but also I think it's going to be a tool that people will harness uh, and make the their work more efficient. I don't want community managers creating content. Like I don't want someone sitting there spending two hours on a blog post. That's not the best use of your time and your talents and your expertise. I want community managers engaging and interacting and being human with another human being. So if, if ChatGPT can make it easier to create content, great. So then you can spend more time engaging and interacting and having conversations like we're having today. So I love that you brought that up because I've been thinking a lot, you know, my, the community I work with is a product community. It was founded within the right. support organization. Um, so a lot of the focus is the product Q&A. And of course, if AI is coming in and powering chatbots that are answering a lot of questions and helping to generate content and populate knowledge-based articles that are answering a lot of those questions, it starts to raise that other question of, well, what is the community for, right? If, if most of the answers to product support questions have been documented, I think it's where it really puts some onus on us as community managers to make sure that our communities have value beyond tactical Q&A, right? And things yeah. that robots can do. And I, I do think that ultimately it will make communities that much more valuable because it will be the place that you can go to connect with real humans and yeah. get the kinds of answers that a, a chat GPT just can't give you because it hasn't doesn't have experiences, right? It can't give you its own yeah. perspective on things. <laughs> um, but I know that we're thinking about that a lot with our community and we're actually working on a big pivot to start to encompass some broader CX related conversations and things that move away just from the tactical Q&A because that's, that's gonna get covered. But I do think a lot of community managers are probably nervous because you know the, the AI could come in and, and cover a lot of the things that we're doing and then we have to really be thoughtful about, okay, well now what is my role and now what is the community's role? Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, look, I, I, I would say uh, I try to be as no bullshit as possible in, in my life. If you are a community manager and you're primarily answering questions for your community members, your job is going to go away. That's right. It's time to pivot. It is going to go away. There's no doubt about it. You're going to be replaced by a chatbot. But to me, what's really exciting about this is I'm generally of a view of there is like um, there is like manageable and non-manageable adversity in the world, right? So when I think of like non-manageable adversity, it's things like uh, misogyny and racism and 
transphobia and all those things that are out of your control. Like if you're if you're a person of color, um, you can't control that element of who you are. And if people are racist, then th that's the reason why they're being racist. It's not a thing that you can change. Then I think there's manageable adversity, which are the things that we can react to and we can change. Um, um, and I actually think that AI is going to create a level of manageable adversity that is um, that is going to make community management harder, but I think it's going to make it more meaningful. Um, because right now, honestly, like when I see a lot, like the amount of, you know, Discord channels that you see, and it's just all Q&A. Mm -hmm. uh, and I just think to myself, like, why would anyone go back to that community? Like it's transactional. Mm -hmm. You go in there, you ask a question, you get a response, and then you peace out. And to me, like the greatest communities are where it, are, it's where you build relationships and you mentor and people support each other and guide each other. And we tap into the human condition. We talk about our experiences as kids that formed our adult perspectives and things like that. AI yeah. can't do that because uh, right. AI can give you information, but it can't give you experience. Uh, and to me, like people don't pay for information but people do pay for experience. So to me, it's actually going to force our industry, I think, into a more meaningful direction. But it will, I think, a lot of people who've just, you know, just landed in kind of the support community world, I think are going to struggle. And people who work in support, like especially like um, lower level support, like frontline support, I think a lot of those folks should start thinking about something else to do. Well, That's you know, I had a... I've had a couple of great conversations. Um, on the conversation. with Nicole here. <laughs> <laughs> no worries. Um, I've had a couple of great conversations on the, on the conversations with Zenda's podcast with folks right. that are thinking about the ways that AI can help make jobs better, right? Like some people are going to be left behind, but right. for some people it's going to get rid of the mundane parts of their job and free them up to lean into other things. And I, you know, my, my pitch to a lot of business owners is like, maybe don't just think about how this is going to eliminate headcount. Also think about how it can make those jobs more meaningful or how you can better leverage the workforce you have to drive greater value because now they're freed up and you can drive, you know, even with support agent, put them on the more complex cases, give them more specialized training that can take those things that the bots can't handle or, you know, yeah. where you've got to do those handoffs and escalations. Um, but of course, I, you know, I understand businesses are rising at cost savings and that's a thing. Um, mm. But a great quote from one of my leadership this week was, you know, she said, AI is not going to put us out of work. People who know how to use AI are the things that are going to put people out of work. And so I think it does behoove everyone to start learning and experimenting now, sure. because if you don't know how to do it, yeah. you are going to get left behind. I, I totally agree with you. Nicole on this one. Um, I think what's interesting about this is that, um, you know, I think with each of these, you know, technology revolutions, you always have that conversation around, oh, it's going to put people out of work, right? And, uh, mm -hmm. and, but I, this is a, a sweeping statement, and I'm sure people will be able to pick it apart in different ways. But as a general rule, I think the work that it puts people out of is shitty work that no one wants to do. Like, I think right. a lot of people, like, you know, like the, the classic example is um, robots in like Amazon fulfillment centers. Does anyone really, really want to do that work? Of course they don't. They want to do something that's 
different. It's going to be much more kind of stimulating in different ways. It doesn't necessarily have to be IT stuff, but I would argue that the average Amazon fulfillment worker would much rather be doing something else than lifting boxes from one place to another. But the tricky thing here where I think it gets complicated is um, it creates um, a, a greater pressure on the digital divide, right? Um, <clears> if you <throat> grow up in a household with access to information and uh, a culture of mentoring and growth, then you're going to be fine. But if you grew up, like I grew up, for example, in, you know, what in England we call council housing, which is basically like working class government housing. Um, and we didn't have any money when I was a kid. And, uh, but I, I'm very fortunate because my parents have always just been like intellectually curious and um, created a, a thriving environment about like always pushing yourself and growing and all the rest of it. So I feel very fortunate about that. But a lot of people don't have that in their in their lives. And I worry about those right. folks being left behind where for us, there's a natural intuition. Oh, well, we'll go online. I'll watch some YouTube videos. I'll learn about this. And I can see a path forward to getting one of those new, you know, newer jobs. So I think it does create a, a greater requirement for us to improve access to education. The good news is that the Internet makes this easier than ever before. Right. But like then we get to first principles going back and back and back. Like this is one of the reasons why I, I'm really happy that uh, Elon Musk has been working on Starlink um, because you can't have access to all that information and mentoring and growth if you don't have access to the internet. And if you're living in the middle of nowhere uh, and you're on a dial-up connection, like so many people are, then you're just not in the game, right? You haven't even got an opportunity to get started at that point. So Yeah. Well, we do need those entry-level jobs, right? I mean, let's think yeah. about this. Support agent roles are often the entry point in a lot of companies. And if yeah. those are the jobs that are getting disrupted, where where do you start? What does become the new entry point into a lot of those things? Um, I, have a, I have a suspicion that what will happen is there'll always be the hierarchy of roles. Like you'll always have like the yeah. CEO at the top. But the, the, na the, the, the nature of an entry level job will probably change. Like I think and I'm this. I'm not an expert in this. So I'm kind of talking out of my backside when I when I'm talking saying this. <laughs> so take it with a pinch of salt. But like, I think if you look back at like the '80s, for a lot of businesses, entry level was someone who worked in the mailroom, mm -hmm. um, right. and it was largely the equivalent of an Amazon fulfillment worker. Like it's it's a manual job moving one thing to another thing because th there's not a machine that could do that. Whereas now, when I think of most businesses and you look at more of an entry level job, it tends to be like um, someone who's working a front desk or an office manager, um, something along those lines, or maybe someone who's uh, people are interning. And those jobs, I think, are probably a lot more fulfilling than the mailroom job. So I think that we'll probably, there'll always be those entry-level jobs, but they will shift. And they will require a greater level of kind of dexterity in using technology. So, You know, something that you mentioned before, and, and either one of you can kind of react to my thinking around here, obviously, but um, is that, you know, some of those entry level, or not just the entry levels, but when you think about community management in specific and, and these support communities that, you know, I have, and of course, Nicole uh, runs and, and things like that, you know, kind of the the goal, uh, and, and I think this is kind of where this changes of, of a support community, one of the goals is kind of this case deflection to where you have so many support agents that, you know, just can't get to all these basic questions. And so you, you know, you're trying to now get your, your own customers, your employees, whether they're support or PMs or whoever from a product community to answer those questions or even uh, partners in our case. 
Um, mm. And so, you know, does some of that go away? Yeah, I think I can see some of that go away. But I think as a community leader, you got to think of other ways, like you said, and, and, and I think of, you know, these people that are using your product on a daily basis, and, and now they can get these answers that are more technical in nature, because, hey, we fed this, uh, you know, chat GPT like thing, you know, with all of our data and everything else and knows all the answers and most of the answers. But, you know, the things that community leaders, I think, can do is, is think about how do you make your customers successful? So we know of a lot of programs that can help. So we still wanna be there to help you answer those questions that you have about the product. But some people wanna be thought leaders in the space. They wanna talk about what they do on a daily basis. So how do we start thinking about communities like that, right? So, hey, if we had a podcast on our community, right? You know, that, you know, like Nicole does, right? Like on, a, you know, you're starting to talk to your customers about what they do on a daily basis. And now they're out there because of your brand, Right. And so your brand kind of stuff has that. Obviously, I don't think user groups go away. You know, like I think some of those right. still stay around. I think those programs, you know, are really going to be helpful. Do I look? I've always, I've never been a huge kind of fan of, I, I look at Discord and I'm on it every now and then. I'm like, like, I don't really get this. You know, how do, how do companies get business outcomes out of these communities that are just kind of walled in? And how do they connect to other business units and, other things and what do they get? I don't it's place to right. connect, I guess. And it's just, <laughs> you know, but it's very confusing to me. So, I mean, the point is, is like, I think there are jobs just it's another level, right? Like we really have to think about how we engage our users in different ways, whether it's getting those folks kind of thinking about thought leadership or, you know, telling their stories on a consistent basis. And then there could be, what I think about is the only word I can think about is kind of these thought leadership type Q and A's or not necessarily Q and A's, but forums, if forums are still around, which I, don't, I always think they're, you think forums have been around forever, chat groups. So I don't know that they ever go away. Right. So there's always going to be some form of, I think. Yeah. Forums. You know what I mean? Like, I just, I don't know that they what go I away. About, yeah. I, I agree. And, and I think what will happen is that AI will help to fuel this is where it, where it excites me is that I think AI will help to fuel the uh, ability for people to scale out personal relationships. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll give you an example. Uh, when I was at Canonical and we were building Ubuntu, um, we faced, and this is a good problem to have, like there was so much activity in our community that one thing that we really stressed and about and, and wrestled with was was delivering a personal experience. Like we'd we'd kick off a campaign and we'd have thousands of people who would join it. Um, so to deal with that many people, we had to create systems and workflows that were by definition impersonal. Like, oh, if you want to engage with something, you have to go and fill in a form. If you're a community of 30 people, you can just have a conversation with each of those 30 people. Yeah. Uh, and dealing with like scale while balancing that personal relationship was something that was really hard. Um, and there were some people in the Ubuntu community who quite rightfully felt like they had a bad experience because they were like, well, you know, I joined this community and everything seems so engaging, but then I had to fill in 10 forms to go and participate in something. And yeah. that sucks. Um, now I'll counter that with, and this is where I think it gets into, into your world, Nicole, like with Zendesk and companies that really kind of fuel like amazing customer experiences. There's a, there's a company called Atio and they build, they're building a CRM. They're a very fairly early stage company. And I absolutely love their product. Atio is awesome. It's like 
it's 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 the first non crappy CRM that I've ever I've ever used personally. <laughs> it's kind of like Airtable ish in 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 many ways. Huh. And there's this woman who works at, at Atio called Cassandra, and and they've got like the little chat widget, th- the little kind of chat widget thing. I think they use Intercom, and they uh, you know so you got a question about something, you go and type it in, and you get a response, and they do the usual thing of like sharing like pre built documentation, and then you can talk to a human being if you want to. But um, because they're early stage, what I've been doing is I've been finding all kinds of little things that I'd recommend fixes for, right? Um, either product feature requests or tiny little issues for them to resolve. And I've been submitting them. Now, what Cassandra's done is that when she um, and their CEO, Nick, told me this, that when they have a, a feature request, they log it in their system, but they also log who submitted that feature request, which user. So at times, Cassandra will randomly reach out to me and say, hey, John, I hope you're doing well. Uh, and she'll say like personal things like how are things out in California. And then she'll say, by the way, the engineering team have just uh, they were about to we're about to release this update and it's going to include this feature that you requested. Um, and I I've told so many people about this personal experience. Now, I don't yeah. know, Cassandra. Solving that problem that... is really an opportunity there. Yeah. Exactly. And I, and I, and I imagine, and I, you know, I don't, I don't want to speak for you, Nicole, but well, like, I imagine that this is like the historic view of Zendesk was, uh, it's ticketing, right. And then knowledge base Mm -hmm. and things like that. But I'm guessing that more and more companies like Zendesk are going to be creating all of these easier ways to like surface these, you know, like when I interact with a, with a, with a, with a customer that I can understand more about their world and what they did and how that feeds into the broader experience. That to me is going to be super exciting where I think it's going to revolutionize customer support, uh, especially. And I think it will bridge customer support and community management because there will be some people who just, they want their, their, their question answering and they are not interested in hanging out with other people like them who use the products. Right. And that's okay. Well, (laughs) and that's, you know, one, I love that you mentioned that because like people don't come to product communities to make friends, right? Like they're not there to like <laughs> hang right. out and nerd out about software. At least most of them aren't. There's probably like three or four people in any given product community that are those people. Um, yeah. But, you know, it's it's part of where you talk about like expanding these things to like how is your community helping people be better at their jobs, right? And and learn more about their field and their industry, not just your particular tool within it. And I think that's where there's the value. Um but Jono, I really yeah. love that you brought up product feedback because this is where I think AI actually has the most potential for community managers because you are right. It is a problem at darn near every company, every community manager I've talked to, product feedback is this huge issue where you're just getting this mass of feedback solicited or unsolicited from Big your users. Hole. Yeah, it comes in. No matter in, what technology you use, it's, it's, it stinks. Yeah, you know what I mean? and like, it, like all that feedback comes in just like whenever people have an idea so it's not necessarily when you're like planning your roadmap but they want to respond right away they want to know hey i just gave you an idea are you thinking about it are you going to do something Mm. with it and it is very hard to take that mass of feedback and whether it's coming in your community or through your voice of customer team or through surveys or through meetings that your success teams and your aes are having and usually it's coming in through all of those channels mostly written down in like meeting notes or community posts you know, not very measurable thing. Yeah. But now you can take all of that and feed it into an AI and say, tell me the five most frequently mentioned things or tell me exactly what are these summaries. And like, I think the AI is going to be such a powerful tool for companies to start to actually 
use their customer feedback and aggregate for that zeitgeist in a way that is meaningful and usable by product teams in a way that we've never been able to before. And that is so cool what you were just sharing about how, um, was it Cassandra? Yeah, yeah. Um, had figured out how to actually go follow up with individuals. Because I do that with some members of my community, the ones that are like really That's well-known awesome. friendlies. I know what's important to them. I can ping them and say, hey, we're working on you know the Salesforce integration or whatever. And it's so exciting to them. It is so meaningful when we come back and yeah. say, we listened to your idea and we're actually thinking about it. Um, yeah, it means the world. But to be able yeah. to do that at scale, it's going to require AI to help you. But how exciting, right? What if we could all suddenly like, bubble up these insights and communicate, close that loop back to customers really easily. Maybe we can use that to actually get the right information to the right product managers internally. I mean, there's so yeah. many things that I think AI will really help with and we shouldn't just be scared of it or worried about how it's going to interrupt our jobs or, or corrupt the information that's in our forums, you know? Yeah, I think it's going to make things, I think it could make things so much better. I was just going to say real mm -hmm. quick, uh, just, um, I don't want to cut you off, Chris, because I know you're No, you're good, but, you're good. Um, I think there were companies, there's companies who've, who without AI have, have, have managed the influx of product feedback uh, effectively, mm -hmm. but it requires like almost like data science level levels of um, strategic structured thinking. Like for example, mm -hmm. a friend of mine is this guy called Rahul Vora. He's the CEO of Superhuman. Um, and they create, they, they, I think it was him actually designed this this thing called the product market fit engine. And it's basically a methodology. You can go and search for it online and there's a great write-up on Coder and there's one on first round capital of basically how they'd survey their customers and they kind of break them down into like, they, one of the questions they'd ask was, how disappointed would you be if, the, if our product went away? And you could say like very disappointed, somewhat disappointed or not disappointed at all. And then they'd ask them for like their feedback. And then they'd slice the data. So they'd focus on the people who will be somewhat disappointed are the people who are, they kind of like what they're doing, but they're not fully bought in. And then if you look at the um, the, the desired you know, feature improvements from that group of people, then it, that helps shape your roadmap, right? Mm. So, uh, but Rahul is like a remarkable mind in this kind of stuff. And he can design like a way of doing things like that. And what I love is that with AI, you don't need to have a remarkable mind as much. Like you can just basically say, here, vacuum up all this information and tell me some insights about it. I think <laughs> exactly. it democratize, the word democratize is way overused, but I'm going to use it here, even though it's 7.45 in the morning. The, it, it really does democratize, <laughs> I think, data for people. Whereas data previously was the domain of, you know, nerds with like thick glasses with a piece of like tape that's holding them together. And you had to be, a, you know, had to talk about data shape and all this, all of this nerdy nonsense. I like the fact that now you're able to feed AI a load of information and ask it a human question and actually get some human insights out of it, which will enable those kinds of experiences. Yeah, absolutely. Love it. Uh, oh, go ahead. No, no, go ahead, uh, Nicole. You know, I just, I think it's gonna be really interesting to see how this shapes our fields. So the other concern that I've had with AI is the idea of having a big influx of generated content in the community. On the one hand, I think it can be great, especially for like one of the challenges a lot of communities have is how to be global, right? But many of the community managers, you know, we're based in the States. Our community is largely in English. We haven't really been able to expand into other languages very easily. 
And so it puts the onus on a lot of our non-English speaking or English as a second language speaking customers to have to write things out. And so I do think that the degenerative AI could be really helpful for them in composing a question or a response and saying, okay, now write this like a native English speaker would write it so that this is clear for folks. But on the other hand, I am really curious to see what happens as far as like, does it become problematic that we have a lot of like bot generated content in the community? Do they start coming up with technologies to help us identify what is genuinely written by an end user and what is bot generated, you know, beyond spam? Also, like, is it problematic or is that okay? Is it all right if a lot of users are using generative AI to compose and respond to each other in a forum? And what does that do to the integrity of the discussion if it's <laughs> a whole bunch of bot assisted? content going yeah. back and forth. You know, you, you can almost see that world in which you get just two bots talking to each other. And like, what, how does that, how does that play out for communities? And that's, that's the one thing where like, I haven't seen the silver lining yet. I'm not sure what, um, how we're going to manage that and what that's going to do to forums and things like that. And I think yeah, that, I, mean, I see that Jonah wants to say something, but uh, yeah, quickly, no, go ahead. Go ahead. Um, as you kind of think about the traditional way today <laughs> and past, the way it works, right, is, you do a search on Google, basically the goal of all of my content, you know, when I think of community content is to be on the first page of Google when somebody has a question about our product. I want to be, I want community to be number one on that page and, and they want to, I want them to find that answer. And when you have a lot of that content that you're talking about, Nicole, that's just all this blah of content, not just for community, but just for all over blogs and whatever you're just going to get this kind of shitty content that just comes out at times so the way that i think that it's a google problem i think that's a search problem i think that's something that they're gonna fix at some point they look at at some point right um and i don't know that you know that the onus is going to be all on us to say well is that generated by a bot and is it just not real or you know what i mean i believe yeah. that those kind of, whether it's Google or whoever comes up, look, when you think of like Microsoft, you know, back in the day when they had search or Netscape or scope or whatever the hell it was called back then, Google kind of completely transformed the search piece. Somebody like Google will transform the new search, whatever that's going to be and what that looks like. And I believe that's the future is, but that's on some technology to do that. I don't know. I mean, that's just, kind of how I'm thinking about it. And, and it just changes everything in the next five to six years, maybe less. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it's. I, I think it's really interesting. I'm kind of on the fence with this. I, I think ultimately what this is going to result in is going to be a massive question of privacy, um, mm. which I'll get to in a moment. But like, um, I'm kind of on the fence because I think we already have this problem today. Like, um, you know, good like growth hackers and digital marketing people they're already they're already keyword stuffing they're already yep. using you know yeah. hacks and stuff like that exactly. to get on the front page um and i would say that the the quality of a lot of front page google content is garbage mm -hmm. because they're actually not adding great material they're just keyword stuffing and they're, you know, they're using SEMrush to track like searches and then they're yeah. packing web pages full of those searches and they're figuring out how to do it without cannibalizing their search results. So you end up with a load of garbage 
and a lot of things like where you ask a legitimate question and it's just an affiliate page, right? It's not actual an actual page. It's an affiliate page with some kind of offer. I'm generally of the view that if if I can do a search and ask a question on Google, an AI can generate a much more comprehensive piece of content. Um, because I don't like with the current pages that we have, like where people game the system, they don't actually want to create great content. They just want to get racked and they want yeah. to show their product, right? I actually think that with AI, you can you could get onto the front page. You can you can you can generate content with those keywords, but you could actually generate better material. And if it solves mm -hmm. my problem, if I search for something and I get better material, then I don't really care whether a human being created or not. Um, but the caveat to that is that's information. It's not experience, right? So if we want to get our own personal sure. experience in there, like for example, like I use ChatGPT to generate content. Um, but I've never used ChatGPT to generate content that I haven't fed it the data. Exactly. Right. So I, you know, I will spend a lot of time like feeding ChatGPT a whole bunch of my views and perspectives and my approach that I've learned from my my experience. But then I'll use ChatGPT purely to generate the material, and then I'll go and edit it. Um, and this is where we get to the privacy issue, which is right. if you want to generate, like, if we wanted to generate a blog post that combines Chris and Nicole's perspectives based upon all of your amazing combined experience by definition you would need to feed an llm all of your experience you need to be yep. able to write that down and get that in there and that's where it leads to a privacy issue which is to really generate a piece of content that's truly representative of both your experience chat gpt needs to know everything about your opinions and your experience and then that then leads us to the viewpoint of like okay we then literally need to mirror our experience in a digital form and you can right. do that, by the way, by transcripts of stuff like this, feed it. You know what I mean? Exactly. I do that That's stuff already. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and it works at a light, it works a lightweight way. But then like I think what's yeah. interesting is no the conversation yeah. about AI becomes now it's less about like how do we use ChatGPT to generate a piece of content? Then it's like, how do I feed everything in my head into ChatGPT in a way that is it is you know makes and that is a that's a weird world of that. That's why we're getting into like George Orwell territory where like there's right. a digital replica of my <laughs> head. <laughs> I don't like that. Well, that stuff's happening. Like you can talk to your, yeah, your my. I could talk to my dead mom if I had her voice on certain things and just feed it right, and then it. Yeah. And then if I had some stuff there about her, you know, it would. I can now talk to her in her voice and everything else, and it will sound like yeah. her. Like and they've done that with Steve Jobs and others that have had a lot of different, you know, videos out, and you know, you can just talk to him now you know that's the yeah. uh, anyways not wow. to get get off yeah. but that's black mirror territory yeah <laughs> yeah that's some crazy shit you know what i mean <laughs> well i think the takeaway from this whole conversation for me is how important it's going to be for all of us in the community space to really start thinking about how we can build up the right skill sets to leverage these tools in ways that are going to help us and they can really accelerate our communities and the value we can drive for our members and the value we can drive for the businesses that we work for. Uh, but make sure that you don't get left behind because if yeah. you're not keeping up and these technologies are moving fast, I know that I'm, I'm just amazed at how quickly this has come on. You know, Donna, you mentioned earlier some of the other evolutions of technology and I felt like those were things where like you had a few years to kind of adjust and like, you know, it's kind right. of, this has exactly. been like yeah. the last couple months and suddenly these tools are rolled out. You know, yeah. they're they're so available. They're getting used right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's pretty it's pretty cool. And uh, Nicole, you summed it up 
very well. And I don't know, Jonah, if you had some parting words, you know, but uh, before we before we kind of let you go, yeah. anything? Yeah, I mean, so I, I'll, I'll caveat this with, with the fact that I'm an optimist and I've always pretty much always been an optimist because I genuinely think that we live in a world where there is just massive amounts of opportunity. And I think everybody's got a seat at the table. Yeah. Um, uh, especially now more than ever. Like I think, like I mentioned earlier on, when I was talking about manageable and, and, and not, you know, a non-manageable adversity. I think for many years, uh, fundamental differences in human beings would hold people back. Like, you know, being a woman working in, in an office in the 70s was a way different experience to a woman working in an office today, for example. And I like the fact that we've made those societal shifts and the access to information that we've got available to us and the opportunities to use that and the tools. I think it's a better time than ever for building communities. Like it's amazing when you think about what you can do with AI and tools like Zapier and community mm -hmm. platforms. And now we can put videos on YouTube and you can do podcasts. I think it's, it's amazing, but I think it requires us to be adaptable and to not get ground up by our own biases and not get ground up by our own view of what we're the limitations of what we can do. I think when we basically say, let's just get out there and have a go and see what we can come up with and always be learning and growing. I think it's the best time to be alive for building communities. Ah, that was awesome. So, well, thanks everyone for tuning in to another peers over beers. Uh, please rate and review us. My name is Chris Detzel and I'm Nicole Saunders, and thank you so much to our special guest today, John. It was such a pleasure having you, and, and such a fascinating conversation. That was awesome. Likewise. Thank you. Appreciate it. Take care. All right. Thanks.